Good morning, everyone. Friends, our first reading on our gospel, the subject matter uh, is prayer. Our first reading, Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom, a city that is uh, in chaos and uh, lacking in morality. And um, we hear um, Abraham uh, just, he has relatives who live there. Uh, if you study the scriptures, you'll know that he has relatives, cousins that live in Sodom. And he approaches God as a servant, uh, asking God um, to spare the innocent. Uh, his, um, the idea of innocent people being punished along with those who are guilty uh, troubles him. So this is what he's doing with God. He's bargaining with him. Uh, so um, it's interesting because it gives us a picture not only about prayer, but it gives us a picture about God. Uh, St. Paul uh, says that through baptism, the Christian dies to their old ways, in particular their wicked ways, their sinful ways, and then in rising, they rise to a new life. And um, certainly we would understand God's grace involved in this, but that prayer also assists us with this. This is our conversation with God. And this is the uh, subject for um, the gospel today also. And um, friends, it was customary in Jesus' time uh, that any notable rabbi or prophet uh, to teach his disciples a unique prayer. Typically, the prayer was uh, a formula-style prayer, and it was based on the teaching of the rabbi. So whatever the, was the thing for that rabbi, the prayer usually was Im immersed in this. And so um, some of the Lord's disciples, as you may call, were also John the Baptizer's uh, disciples. Remember, John said, now follow Jesus. So in his disciples are some of John's, and they remember John teaching them prayers. And so uh, we see that one of Jesus' disciples says, will you teach us a unique prayer? Jesus responds with what is known as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Luke and Matthew's Gospels are the only ones that can contain this, and they give us a particular form of the Our Father that was familiar to each one of the evangelists. The version before us today is the shorter version uh, given to us by Luke, and uh, uh, Matthew has the longer one. The prayer takes the form of a set of petitions. Uh, we say the Our Father often, and I've told folks if you really know what the prayer is about and you pray it, uh, your heart would be filled with joy, but also uh, you would be filled with great responsibility with it also. And uh, sometimes when we say a prayer over and over and over and over and over again, we forget what it really means. And uh, so this prayer has two sets of petitions. The first refer, uh, set is to God, and the second refers to our own needs. Jesus teaches us to address God as Father, uh, and in Matthew's in Matthew Gospel, he'll say, say, our Father. Um, and the former is likely the original version. Uh, that ref uh, the other one probably reflects uh, as that things changed and progressed in time in the early church. But either way, it's an invitation to approach God with intimacy in which Jesus approached his Father. So Jesus wants us to approach not as a slave, but now as a son and daughter of God. Jesus teaches us uh, through this prayer that our first concerns must be about the Father's concerns and not our own. That first concern would be the triumph of God's cause and 
um, as his children, then uh, we would want our Father's desires to come to fruition, that uh, his will would be fulfilled uh, in this world as it is already being fulfilled in heaven. If we go back to the prayer, this is what the prayer is saying. So we pray that God's name will be hallowed, and in our times, uh, we really need to work on that because God's name is not respected and God's name is not considered to be sacred any longer hmm, by a, a large vast of people. We pray that then his name would be hallowed and that uh, God will be blessed and praised on earth as he is blessed and praised already by the angels in heaven. And we pray that his will be done, not ours, that his be done obediently and lovingly on earth as it is already lovingly and obediently done in heaven. That's why that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the prayer is telling you or asking you to, to, to meet, you know, to come with your heart. And praying this way, we are praying for the success then of Jesus Christ, who is God, about his mission of salvation, redemption, <clears throat> and the very reign of God on earth, his ways, uh, the ways of God on earth. Then the prayer moves in, uh, from the Father's desires to our needs. One asks for their daily bread, and one asks for the daily food, absolutely, and the needs that sustains you and I and our families. But my friends, bread here is also a symbolic word. Bread is also understood as anything that pertains to our welfare. For once general welfare lacks, sustaining the family cannot happen, and uh, then... Uh, and here's how it connects. Uh, if you cannot support your family and its daily needs, you will not be able to worship God attentively uh, and properly. And this was the thought back then, and I still think it's true today. So Jesus teaches us then to approach the Father. It's a little bit different from the way Abraham did. Uh, Jesus asks us to approach as a child does to their parent and to know this and to then approach God the Father with great confidence. And he gave some parables, and uh, I'll talk just quickly about those. But from the scriptures, uh, we are told if God the Father provides for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how much more will the Father provide for his faithful children when they turn to him for their needs? Luke 12, 22. The prayer also asks for forgiveness. We ask for his forgiveness for our sins. We ask this on the basis of our own forgiveness of others. Go back to the prayer and see what it is saying. So we ask for forgiveness, but it is based on the fact that we forgive those who have offended us. And my friends, mutual forgiveness among the disciples of Jesus was the precondition for God's forgiveness. Matthew 6, 15. We pray also that we do not succumb to temptations, but that we are delivered from wicked ways, which are two ways of saying the same thing. Classically understood or interpreted, um, the time of testing uh, would be accompanying uh, the coming of God's kingdom. And we go to the book of Revelation to understand this. And there, uh, this, the prayer that Jesus is giving to his disciples and we are his disciples today, uh, ask that we not fall prey to the evil one. And um, 
It has been understood also that uh, in the terrible outbreak of moral chaos and confusion and violence that we find in the book of Revelation, uh, just before the end times, uh, when the powers of evil seemingly have victory over all the disciples on earth, this prayer addresses that. We pray that uh, they, so Jesus is teaching his 12 this, and now we are the disciples, so it uh, pertains to us, that they pray that God will spare them, meaning us also, uh, the full impact of the final test. Perhaps, I thought, okay, how do we look at it today? Perhaps we, today we might understand the test or a trial or temptation as the attack on faith and the decline of faith in each of us, perhaps also in the church and in the world, too. Now, we recall that Jesus once uh, asked a question. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Luke 18, 8. Our withstanding of the attacks on the church, on, on faith, uh, in our times, uh, perhaps this prayer, when we say the Our Father, then the deliverance that it is referring to now deliver uh, refers to such things um, in the Lord's Prayer. And certainly, my friends, I understand there are many things that people want to be delivered from, illness and uh, despair and um, human weaknesses. So all those things would be in there also. May we be delivered from the temptations, however, that spring up uh, from our human weaknesses and from spiritual poverty also. So my friends, with this prayer, may we be given the grace needed to withstand each day's trials and the grace to survive the test in whatever form it takes for each one of us. And also to have the grace to persevere in faith and hope and love when we must bear our cross in life. And Jesus tells us in the scriptures that each one, you and I, will have a cross. And some of us get different crosses throughout our, our life. So we may have several that we are able to, in love, carry that cross then. And not get angry at God in the world, perhaps, uh, but to accept the cross and move with it. So friends, in our readings offer us an opportunity to relearn how to pray in the style that Jesus himself prayed. Our Lord's Prayer is both a prayer, but also a school, a teaching on prayer. That our Father, or uh, the Lord's Prayer, is a great gift of Christ to each one of us and to his church. It is a teaching on a prayer form and its intent, and the prayer then helps to shape the Christian's mind, heart, and soul. The two parables that Jesus puts in with the prayer uh, helps us to address, um, yes, one, perseverance for sure. But also, it talks about God. Um, God is generous. And God, and people come, I'm bringing this up because people come, I've been praying for eight months and I'm not getting what I want and I, God's not listening. Well, Jesus gives the parable. He is listening. But He's also going to give you what you need. Maybe he'll give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need. And that's what those parables are talking about. But it ends with, he will give you this, this. What is he tying? He will give you the Holy Spirit when you pray. That's different from the Audi Father Marks want, right? Right? You see, I mean, it's not just you guys. It's me as priest, too. 
I come to him and I'd like this and this and this with my list, and I already know it's not happening, <laughs> but I'm going to ask anyway, Abraham. <laughs> uh, and uh, now Jesus doesn't teach us to bargain. <laughs> uh, Abraham bargained, and, but <clears throat> that was different. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, teaches us a different way to approach the Father and to always be confident uh, that God knows what we need and responds appropriately. So my friends, um, Last week was a little bit unusual in, the, in our Masses uh, in that uh, each Mass had uh, a family or two families that had celiac disease. And uh, for those folks, uh, our host is fully wheat. It's just wheat and water. And that is the rule of our church. Uh, so when they have celiacs, they cannot have it. Uh, so the church has approved, our bishops have approved a low-gluten host. It doesn't, it's not without wheat, it just has the minimum amount possible. So we have that, and we've had it always since I've arrived here eight years ago. Um, I bring it up so if anyone who has celiac disease doesn't know, we have the low gluten, and, but you have to let me know in advance by either contacting the parish. I will be at the 830 Mass, I'll need one of the low gluten hosts. Or just before Mass begins, come and let us know. Last week what happened was, uh, two of the family members came up in the communion line and said, do you have low gluten? Well, I'm not supposed to be in a conversation at that time. <laughs> so I'm like, no. But it broke my heart because I have it, but I just need to know in advance. We do, I don't consecrate low gluten hosts unless I need them. Uh, so for anyone who... Uh, and there are also some folks whose celiac disease is so severe, they cannot have any. Um, so what we've done in the past, we've, uh, uh, the low gluten comes separately packed. Uh, we let them take it home. It's not consecrated, and they try it to see if they get sick. And if they don't, then they know it's, they can tolerate it. But for those who cannot, um, the only option then is the wine. So you have witnessed me, if you, and most of you have been really good about not saying, well, what is he doing now? Why is he doing that for that person? Uh, making the assumption you probably knew. So uh, when you see the chalice, a separate chalice, it's for someone who has celiac disease who cannot tolerate the wheat uh, at all. And uh, in this time of the pandemic, when the cup has been restricted for everyone, that means those folks with celiacs and those who cannot, they cannot receive the Eucharist at all. Uh, and I think that's a great hardship. And I know God gives his graces many ways, but it's a great hardship, and there's one, a way that I'm able to move around it. So if you have celiacs and uh, uh, you need Luke Golden, just let us know in advance, okay? And my friends, this allows me then to speak as more and more people begin to return to Mass after two years of being at home. Uh, sometimes they've forgotten. Um, and my friends, I, I, the Eucharist is a great gift uh, to us, that is the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And, and I am begging everyone to show the due reverence and respect to the Eucharist that it commands. And uh, the expectation is, is when you come forward for the Eucharist, that you will show that reverence out of love, not because the bishop said so, but out of love with a slight bow. And then the priest and the minister is the body of Christ, the response is not thank you. Thank you is what you do when you get to the pew. The response is amen, which means I believe. And then please, please, please consume 
the host immediately in front of the minister. Do not walk away uh, with the consecrated host. This will assist us to make sure it's never left in the pew. My preference is for folks to receive on the tongue, but uh, either way, uh, to do that. And then when we return to the pew, give your thanks for the great gift of the Eucharist. My friends, if I do not show proper respect to the Eucharist, certainly let me know, because it starts from the top down with this. So if I'm not doing it, why would I expect you then to do it? But you should. And if you find me not doing it, as a disciple of Jesus Christ pointed out to me also. Amen?